Mic check. Hey, hey, there we go. Um, good morning, OB Joyful Church. Um, like Scott said, my name is Kevin McCright. I've been an intern here for about a year and a couple months. Um, and now I'm going to be fully honest. I, I, I don't know which is more nervous, the fact that I'm in front of a bunch of people or, or I know my mom is watching me right here on this camera. Um, hey, mom. Um, probably my dad, too. Hello. Didn't mean to leave you out. Brad, I uh, love you, too. Um, so I, I grew up in Dallas, Texas, a, a little bit about me. Um, I grew up going to Scott's church back in Dallas. And so, again, if I say anything wrong, blame him. He was the one who, who taught me. And so um, a little bit more about myself. Uh, man, I, I love this church. Um, it has been an honor to serve this church for um, the amount of time that I have. And, and again, I'll be, I'll be leaving in August, like what, um, like what Scott said. So I love this church. What an exciting time to see the Lord move through this valley and, and, and provide... Um, $2 million to open up our doors. Um, it's been truly incredible. And so, um, like I said, I, I grew up in, in Dallas. And a little bit about me in high school, I'm going to tell you a little story about one of my best friends, Josh. And so Josh was new in sixth grade. I went to a, a private school, K through 12. And, and Josh was new in the sixth grade. That was before I had met the Lord. And, and so I was looking for a lot of my identity in what the, the quote-unquote cool kids thought. And so I was really rude to him with my words, but I, I met the Lord in eighth grade, and we, we became friends my, my freshman year. Um, and, and Josh is one of those guys that, that whenever I say I grew up with him, I, I don't mean maybe in stature, I mean in, in maturity. Um, there was a lot of times where we, we would fight, where he would call me out on my stuff, I would call him out on his stuff. We're both insecure people. And so um, my freshman year, I started... Um, oh, another thing about me, I, I love playing the guitar. I'm, you'll see me up there quite frequently. But um, I started being a part of a worship band at my school my, my freshman year. And so that was, that was led by a couple seniors. And so kind of looking towards the future, um, they said, hey, who, who has been involved with this? Who's going to lead this? Well, let's give it to Kevin. That was a good idea, I guess, just giving it to a sophomore. But um, they gave it to me, and, and, and the people who were... Above it were the drummer and the bassist, and so we needed a drummer. And so I kind of became friends with Josh, and, and he, he had this, yeah, like I kind of play drums, I'd kind of be into it, you know? And so he, he, he was kind of back and forth. He, he kind of would say he would do it over here, and then he would kind of like say he wouldn't do it over here. And, and so it, it comes to my very first Thursday of my sophomore year, and he's like, uh, he kind of freaks out. Goes my friend Timothy under the bus and comes up to me afterwards and says, hey, man, I'm sorry. I actually haven't been playing drums. I've only been playing drums for a few months, not three years. Um, I'm sorry. And so, but, but he felt bad for throwing my friend under the, under the bus, and so he said, hey, I'll, I'll go ahead and do it. Um, but he, he confessed to me. He said, Kevin, I haven't had friends in a long time, and I had this idea that I had to perform in order for people to know me. I had to have something in my life to give to my friends so that they would accept me. And, and, and this morning, we're going to be looking at a person in Scripture named Peter who had the same sort of idea about his interactions with Jesus. Um, and so again, this morning, we're, we're in our series through the book of John called So You May Believe. Um, that is the whole point of this book of John is, is so that we would believe in the name of Jesus and know his healing power. 
And so last week, Scott talked about a scene in the upper room where, where Jesus is talking to his disciples saying, hey, this is what's going to happen to me. And specifically, he talked in John, in John 15 about how he is the vine and we are the branches. He's the true vine. We have to be connected to him. And so chapters 13 and 16 of the book of John are all this intense scene in the upper room. And that's kind of where we get our idea of taking communion. That's where he first commissions that and so we're going to begin a little bit this morning, a little bit back in the upper room, and then we're going to go out of the room here in a second. So let's pick up the story in John 13, 36 through 38. It says, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. Now, before this passage, Jesus was, again, in the upper room. He just washed the disciples' feet, which, a, which is a big picture of, of service in that culture, kind of foreshadowing, hey, I'm serving you in this way now, but I'm going to be serving you in a way deeper way here in a minute. I will be betrayed but my commandment to you is, is to love. And then, and then he says, um, Simon Peter speaks up and he's like, hey, what do you mean where are you going? He kind of, he kind of freaks out. Now, in order to kind of get what Jesus is saying here, we need to kind of understand a couple things about the context of this passage. Um, who are these people that Jesus are talking to? Well, he's talking to his disciples. And these, these men literally dropped everything, you know, in, in, Simon's Peter, in Simon Peter's case, literally dropped the nets that he was at and he was following Jesus and running after him. And currently they have been in ministry with Jesus for the past three years. So imagine your closest friend, whether that's you know, a friend, a spouse, someone who you've been together for a long time and multiply that by 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all the time, um, you get pretty close to someone. Uh, and now it's not just because they've been hanging out. There's a reason why they dropped their nets. It's because they, they, they believed Jesus' claims that he was what is called the Messiah or deliverer. Now, from our perspective now, we can see, okay, if you have any sort of church background, you understand the Messiah is Christ coming down and defeating sin and death to bring in the kingdom of God. That's not the early Jewish interpretation of what the Messiah was. They thought that the Messiah was going to bring in a physical kingdom, tear down the Roman government, and establish the kingdom of God in a very political sense. And so whenever Jesus says, hey, I am going to leave you after spending three years of your life, that's like William Wallace in Braveheart saying the freedom, I don't know it, but the freedom speech, and then just bouncing. <laughs> so like this is super confusing. They have no idea what's going on here because of their preconceived notions of what the Messiah was. And so um, obviously this was going to be a really emotional and confusing time. Now, in the Gospels, if there was any sort of emotional reaction to be had, it was going to be by Peter. Um, and so uh, a little kind of walk through Peter's life is um, he was the one who walked on water after, after Jesus was walking on water. Um, even earlier on in this passage, um, you know, when he's washing his feet, Peter says, no, you will not wash my feet. You are my teacher. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you'll have nothing you know, you'll have nothing to do with me. And so Peter says, no, okay, wash everything. Wash my head, wash my feet, wash my entire body. Um, and so he was extremely committed to Jesus. Even at one point um, in Matthew 16, 
Um, Jesus prophesies about his death, and, and, and Peter kind of scolds him. Hey, Jesus, no, you're not going to die. What are you talking about? And he literally says, get behind me, Satan. So there, there is a strong emotional connection between Peter and Jesus. Like, obviously, Peter is committed to the cause. And so there's, there's no reason why he wouldn't have this reaction. Say, hey, where are you going? I, I want to be with you. Where, are you. where are you going? No, Jesus, you can't leave now. You haven't thrown out the Roman government yet. <laughs> but Jesus knew and loved Peter, and um, he questions him. He says, will you really die for me? You're going to deny me three times. Um, 19th century British theologian Adam Clark says that Christ must first die for Peter before Peter can die for him. And so it's gonna, we're going to move a little bit closer, knowing that in mind. I'm going to move to John 18. And so here, walking up to John 18, um, so Jesus, you know, he says, no, I'm, I'm going to die. He's, he's, he's talking about his betrayal. He also says, someone will betray me. And whoever, whoever's going to do it, go ahead and do it. And so Judas Iscariot leaves the room. Jesus kind of continues to prepare his disciples. Then eventually they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is praying intensely for what's about to happen. And then Judas comes forward. He arrests Jesus. And, and, and even in, in classic, classic form, Peter is like, no, you're not going to arrest my Jesus. Takes out his sword, cuts a dude's ear off. Um, so again, this dude's committed. <laughs> like there's no, there's no reason why we wouldn't believe that he, he really wouldn't, you know, he really wants to, to trust Jesus, really wants to follow Jesus, be with Jesus. And so the people who arrest Jesus take him to the high priest, Ananias. And since the main offense that they, that they thought they had on Jesus was blaspheming and saying, hey, I am the son of God. They said, no, you're not. And so, um, they went and took him to the religious leader of the day. And so we're going to pick it up here in John 18, verse 15. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I'm not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter was also with them standing and warming himself. And so the beginning of this passage, just a little history, whatever, of, of this passage, um, there, that, that phrase, and another disciple, and so some of you might be wondering, who, who was that? Well, a lot of people think that that's John himself. Um, and the reason why is, is because um, if he really is the person who's close to the high priest, he would know the person with whom Peter tried to cut his ear off. They actually mention his name, Malchus, in, in verse 10 of, of chapter 18. And so why would he have this, this relationship with the high priest? Well, he had a, his dad named Zebedee had a really big fishing business. And so um, they would oftentimes provide fish for the high priests. And so um, they use this, this phrase, was known to the high priest a lot, that has nothing to do with the main point. Just thought it was cool. That, 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 that's probably John, the person whom, whom we're reading. Um, naturally, he would have these sort of details, like the name of the high priest's servant, if he knew it. Anyway, um, just a little thing that I'd share. 
And so this other disciple, John probably, um, goes inside, but, but Peter stays outside. He stays outside warming himself by the fire. And, and John makes it clear what kind of fire it was. You know, it wasn't like this raging fire. It's a charcoal fire. And if you guys know anything about grilling or cooking or, or, or camping, you know, a charcoal fire is not going to give off a lot of light. It's going to give off a lot of heat, just not a lot of light. And so you know, we, we kind of think, you know, why were they questioning him if they really knew who Jesus was? Well, it's probably really dark. They probably didn't actually see him. And so based on the whole narrative of the Gospels, whenever Peter, whenever someone asks, hey, are you a disciple of this man? Naturally, what we would think would be an emphatic yes, but something's happened. He denies it quickly. So clearly something has shaken in him. The, the arrest of Jesus has, has sifted his heart a little bit. And in a minute we'll go into what I believe that was. And so let's, let's jump forward a little bit to 25 to 27, and, and, and this area is going to kind of be where we camp out. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I'm not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And at once, the rooster crowed. So here, the second and third denials of, of, of Peter, the heat is turned up a little bit with these questions. Um, the, the second person is not a little girl. It is, it is I, I assume, a full-grown man. And he asks the exact same question, and he, he denies it the exact same way. Now, the last one is, is a bit interesting. It says, one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man who's whose ear he had cut off. So obviously this guy would kind of have some insider information. And, hey, no, I'm pretty sure I saw you cut off like my cousin's ear or something. You'd think that that's kind of like, oh yeah, I for sure know. Um, he was probably just giving him a, a chance to speak here. Um, but again, he, he denies it. And at once the rooster crows. Um, this, this story is, is in every single one of, of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and specifically in Matthew and Mark, um, Peter saying simply, I am not a disciple, turns into denying that he even knew who Jesus was, cursing and swearing at these people over the thought that he might even know who Jesus is. Again, he goes from running to Jesus on water, saying, no, I'm going to die for you, for denying him, to, to denying him in front of just a few people. And so the, 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 the big question in the room is, is so, so we see that Peter quickly denies Christ. Why? So I'd like to posit to you three things this morning and, and, and why Peter denied Christ and how we, we kind of do that similarly in our own lives today. So I think Peter was so quick to deny Christ because he was fearful, he was far away from Christ, and he was forgetful, like that alliteration. Again, grew up in Scott's church, so kind of used to it. So first, Peter denied Christ because he was fearful. Um, naturally, if there's any sort of arrest happening, um, if, if, if they're asking, hey, were you, they're seeing what's happening to Jesus, and they're asking, were, were you involved with this? Um, he was just kind of scared of these people. You know, whether, whether or not he thought he was going to be interrogated or, or whether or not he might even get killed because he almost killed one of these other guys, um, there's, there's some natural fear there. 
Now, although I, I think that's important, um, I think that, that there's some other type of fear that stemmed from something a little bit deeper in Peter that I'll get to later. I mean, clearly, fear set in with seeing the person who he thought was going to obliterate the Roman Empire and set Israel free. He's now bound and on trial. Naturally, fear is going to set in there. Um, Secondly, I I think he was far away from Christ. And at the beginning of the narrative, um, we see that the other disciple goes in, but Peter stays out. He chooses to separate himself from Christ. Even when the other disciple brings him in, he chooses to stand by the servants and the officers, not by Jesus. In the darkness of the charcoal fire, Peter encounters temptation of which he does not have the resources to resist. The only hope for any of us in time of temptation is to remain close to Jesus. Um, And again, a different kind of fear physically being far away from Christ. You know, he's so used to being so close to him in a very safe place. And all of a sudden, when, when life gets difficult, when life gets hard, when life gets confusing, he chooses to separate himself from Christ. And lastly, he's, he's forgetful. And, and in, in these chapters from, from 13 to 18, um, Jesus says two things specifically, uh, one on, on a macro scale and one on a micro scale, one on a on a here, large picture scale, and one on a very individualistic scale with Peter. From the large scale, he said, hey, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to die. That's, that's what Jesus means when he's like, I'm going somewhere that you cannot follow me yet because he's going to die. And from, from a very individual scale, he says, Peter, you're going to deny me. That, that was the expectation that Jesus had. That was the, the thing that Jesus said, hey, this was, this is what, what was going to happen. I am going to be betrayed. Things are going to get confusing. And Peter, I know you said that, that you are going to keep your promises, but trust me, I need to die for you before you can die for me. Um, he, he, he just claims that, hey, you are going to deny me. He had his, I have to prove my commitment blinders on to remember all the things that Jesus had said. He thought, I have to prove myself. I have to bring something to the table. And it's my promises. So what does this have to do with us today? Well, I think our lives are similar to those of Peter's in that we become fearful when we are far away from Christ, which makes us forget who we are in Christ. So I think, I think we have all of those inclinations in, in, in our own lives. I'll dive into that in a second. So using this story of Peter's denial, um, I want to first look at how we can become far from Christ. Now, there are a plethora of ways that we can become far from Christ, but specifically looking at Peter's life, it seems like he was so dead set on having self-reliance. He thinks that he can do it all. He thinks, I mean, look at the story of him walking on water. As soon as he gets freaked out, tries, you know, doing things on his own strength, he falls right in and he says, Jesus, save me. Here he's saying, Jesus, I'm going to die for you. And when it doesn't happen, he gets crushed that he, didn't, he wasn't able to perform. Because he thought that he had to give something to Jesus before Jesus had to give something to him. 
He thinks that he has to make these grandiose promises to Jesus in order to prove himself. He claims that he would die for Jesus, and Jesus denies it because he understands that Peter is saying that these, these things as if it would bolster Jesus' view of him. Hey, Jesus, look at the things I'm going to do for you. Look at the things I can bring to the table. I'm, I'm, I will not falter. Isn't that exactly what we try to do today? I know in, in my own life, um, I've prayed the prayer, God, I'm so sorry for sinning. I'm so sorry that I've done that again, but I promise this is the last time. I promise this is it. Like somehow that my promise to not do it again is somehow going to be stronger than the grace of God that he's already given me. Or maybe we've prayed this, you know, God, please give me this. If you just give me this thing that I think my heart desires, I'll do X, Y, or Z. I'll go to church more. I'll read my Bible more. Just please give me something, and I promise I'll do something else. That's not how God works. That's not how grace works. We think we have to promise God that we will do something or stop doing something. And in that, he'll bless us, or that he'll love us more when he has given us the ultimate proof of his love and the ultimate blessing in his son, Jesus' death on the cross to give us a new relationship with him and bring about his kingdom now. That is what the Messiah was about, defeating sin and death, not defeating some sort of government. And so when, when we place all these things on, on ourselves, we think we have to equate God's goodness with our performance And when that stuff falls down, when we realize those promises that we made to God, or those promises that we said that those things that we were going to do, when we don't follow up on that, we are absolutely crushed. We see that in the life of Peter. You know, we we see that he, in in, in those other gospel things, and those other gospel descriptions of this story, um, he begins to weep bitterly. We'll we'll look at, at Luke here in a second. When we think that we have to perform to please, we get completely crushed when we aren't able to measure up to our standards that we impose on ourselves. Now, don't get me wrong. Obedience is a good thing, but let's, let's be realistic here. We're not going to be obedient all the time. Let's be realistic with our expectations of ourselves. But somehow we have told ourselves that if we aren't perfect, then we shouldn't be able to accept God's love for us. We see it in the life of Peter once he realized that he indeed denied Christ three times. He was devastated and he wept. He thought that he didn't hold up his end of the deal. That's not at all what was expected from Jesus. He knew that he is weak. He, he knows that we're weak. He understands that. Now, let's look at Jesus' response to Peter. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, it says this. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord and how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now, Jesus' response to Peter is not reprimanding, is not condemning. It's simply looking. And that that Greek word for look that is used here in the Gospel of Luke is called emblepo, which usually signifies a look of interest, love, and concern. 
he knew that Peter was crushed and he loved him. So he willingly wanted to be crushed for his own iniquities and so that Peter can experience new life and experience forgiveness because somehow we, we, we've told ourselves that we have to be perfect. Um, it, it, in our culture, it's very difficult for us to accept things that, that we aren't earned. It's very, very difficult for us, um, for, for me as well. And so Jesus dies to give us a rest from that. Yeah, I believe that our American society has communicated to us that we have to be perfect all the time that somehow seeped into our pews. That church can't be one of those places that we can be safe. Church can't be one of those places that we can just turn to a brother and a sister and say, hey, look, I'm struggling in this area right now. Um, death is around me. Sin is around me. I don't, I, don't know, I don't know where to see the Lord in all of this. Um, I hope that Obi Joyful is a place where you can feel safe to do that. Now, there's, the, there's another fear that, that I, I wrestle with, and I think Peter also wrestled with. I'm going to be closing here in a few minutes. I know I have this fear in my life, and I think that, that I, you know, whether it's with my bosses or with my family or with my friends, I have this fear of not being enough. This deep, desperate fear, just like Josh had, that if I don't have anything to offer, that I am not enough. I can be driven to perform for them because I want to be enough for them. When we're so focused on earning God's grace, we become fearful that we are not enough. That all stems from the expectation that I think that our culture has given us is that we have to be enough and that somehow we need to clean ourselves up for God to accept us when the gospel speaks that we are not enough and we are deeply in need of God's action. In Ephesians 2, it says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So before, what, what this scripture is saying is, is before Christ, we weren't just not good enough, we were dead. We were absolutely dead. Um, we cannot give anything to the table. We cannot bring anything at all. And somehow we expect that because even though that is our, that is our situation, we think that we can still give God something. We can't. That was the expectation that God set on us is that we couldn't do anything. But it was the love of the Father and the sacrifice of the Son to bring us back into relationship with him, not only to repair that relationship, but so that he could continue to show us the riches of his grace and kindness. See, the gospel and and accepting the free gift of Jesus is not a one-time thing. It says that 
so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. It's not that God only has a little bit of grace for us in that specific moment. He has grace for us throughout our entire lives. And so when we feel that, man, for some reason I feel like I've exhausted God's grace, look back at the cross and see how deep he dove to give you grace and understand that if he would do that back then, why would he not do that today? Why would he not do that today? God's grace is continually showered upon us. And so I want to communicate, for those who feel like they have gone too far, the cross can reach you. For those who feel like, like you, Kevin, I, understand, I get what you're saying, but you don't know the things that I've done. Guys, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. There's nothing good or bad that could keep us from the love of the Father. Look at the cross. Look at how deep he will dive, giving up the entire heavenly host, the entire perfect unity and and community of the Trinity. For the first time, what happened on the cross is whenever Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There was no answer. And so if you guys know, if you guys have a feeling of, you know, I I don't don't know where God is in this moment. I don't know um, where he is. I don't see him acting. Jesus knows what that's like. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there's no answer. The Trinity was broken in that moment for you and me to be in relationship with Jesus again. And not only that, but to defeat sin and death for good. He is bringing in a new world. He is making all things new. Um, and, and, and trust me, I know it's, it's hard to see it. I know. I've been around suicide way more than I want to confess. I've seen cancer. I've seen it's, it's, it's awful, but we have to believe that the little things that we do are bringing God's kingdom in. So how can, how can we do that? Well, back in the upper room in chapter 13, and I'm, I'm, I'm wrapping up, he gives a, Jesus gives a new commandment to his disciples, and it's not to go out and prove their allegiance by making lofty promises and doing things. It's to say, love one another because I've loved you. Now, w- w- what are we to do as the church? Just like Christ has given us an expectationless love, we need to be doing that to other people. Saying, hey, I'm not loving you to get something out of you. I'm not loving you with the expectation that you're going to do something for me. I'm loving you because I've been loved greatly by the Father. And so this morning, I, I simply want to encourage you to take a bit of rest today from your trying to earn God's love. Because I, I, I know I've done it, and I know it's exhausting. Take a rest. Process with some friends. And think to yourself, what are some expectations that I am placing on myself that the Lord doesn't? Where do I feel like I'm not meeting up and where am I not letting the gospel speak into that? Understanding that I'm not enough, but Christ has made me enough. Think about the people in your life, spouses, kids, friends, coworkers. Am I loving them because I'm expecting something in return? Where can I continue to love more selflessly? Where can I show the love of Christ to this world? And if you are, um, if you feel like you are taking something for granted or you are loving people with expectation, man, take it to the Lord. Walk that through with him. But God, I, I don't feel like your grace is enough um, for, for, for what I've done. Take that to the Lord. And so, guys, I just want to close by saying, um, Christ has given us much, so let's, let's, love, let's love much. 
Um, Christ has given us much. If you feel like you are too far gone, you're not. The cross proves that. The cross also proves that, that let's, let's live in humility because we are not good enough to earn that either. The, Christ, the, the cross kind of gives two extremes. You're not too far gone, you're not too good. So let's walk humbly in love, love, love humbly this week together. Let me pray us out. Heavenly Father, we love you. Um, Jesus, thank you for the life of Peter. Thank you for um, the fact that we'll get to see in a few weeks his redemption. God, thank you for the fact that, that you have given us much. And so let us walk humbly this week. Let us be able to um, self-reflect a little bit. Where, where are we thinking that we are not good enough? Where are we thinking that we need to earn your love, God, because it's exhausting and I, I pray for rest for this church body. I, I pray that um, they would not hold expectations with their love. I pray that they, they would be able to communicate um, your love to other people by not asking for anything in return, not expecting anything in return. So Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the cross. Um, we thank you for the new life we have and the hope that we can look forward that you're making all things new. We ask all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Have a good week.